Jay, Jay even graciously allowed me to kind of depart from the series in order to bring you a word that I feel like God has placed upon my heart. And that is this, that, you know, one of the things that I love about this country is the fact that we have free speech. Amen. One of the things that I hate about this country is the fact that we have free speech. And it's not, I, 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 wouldn't, I, I wouldn't take it away for anything in the world. It's such an important part of who we are as a nation. However, one of the challenges with having free speech is the fact that you can say anything about anybody at any time. You get me? In fact, I posted this on my social media uh, just recently, and it says this right here. I just innocently, innocently put down, I prefer mangoes to oranges, and I got this reply right here. So basically what you're saying is that you hate oranges. You also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruits. Educate yourself. I am literally shaking. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but um, if you have ever uh, looked up the, did you know that there are a whole bunch of one-star reviews of the Grand Canyon? Did you know that? If you were to go online, what you will find is that there are a whole bunch of one-star reviews about the Grand Canyon. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the most undisputed natural wonders of the world. Here, 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 are, a couple, uh, here are a couple right here. It says this, walking up, not as much fun as walking down. False advertising. It's a canyon. I'm not... I'm not sure that that is false advertising. Here's another one right here. Just a big dumb ground hole. Put in a roller coaster and some dip and dot stands and we'll talk. No one cares about crack erosion. Okay, now first of all, I love dip and dot stands just as much as the next guy, if you know what I'm saying. But it's actually the second sentence that I want to talk about a little bit. Crack erosion. No one cares about crack erosion. I don't even know what that means. What does crack erosion mean? What crack? Whose crack are we talking about here? Here's another one right here. Depends on what donkey you get, Nina. Who's Nina? Is Nina one of the donkeys? Is Nina a good donkey? Is Nina a bad donkey? I'm not too sure. Inquiring minds want to know. Here's the last one I want to share with you guys. Decent view, but lost my favorite pants. Will not be back. Love those pants. Loved. I love those pants. So I look at that and I'm kind of thinking to myself, I kind of feel like that's, that one's on you, buddy. I don't, I, don't know if you can, I don't know if you can blame the Grand Canyon on that one. So in other words, apparently there are a whole bunch of people who really want to go to the Grand Canyon right now. But they go online and they think to themselves, oh my gosh, like I'd really love to go to the Grand Canyon, but you, you know, people are losing their pants. You can't find a good donkey these days. I mean, what in the world is going on here? Here's what you're gonna find if you look online. A bunch of uh, memes, a bunch of quips, a bunch of hot takes, things written by people who don't know what they're talking about in order to perpetuate a certain narrative, right? You see that in politics all the time. You see quips, you see memes, you see, see hot takes, you see quotations taken out of context by people who don't know what they're talking about in order to perpetuate a certain narrative. And here's the thing. Not only are those things written about the Grand Canyon, what you'll find is that those things are also being written about the church. 
Here are a couple quick memes that you might find online about the church, and that's this right here. Is it bad that I don't miss going to church? I actually feel drama-free. Here's another one right here. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Gandhi. Here's another one right here. The church should be about multiplication, not division. You know what's hard about some of these memes? What's hard about some of these memes is unlike the Grand Canyon, there's just a little bit of truth to it. Not a lot of truth, not completely true, not completely true, but there is a little bit of truth to it. And so as God is doing a great work here at Portrait, one of the questions that we want to talk about today is actually this question right here. And that is, how can the church multiply when it is that we've been so divided? You and I have lived in a time where pastors are criticizing pastors. Churches are tearing down other churches. My guess is that over the course of the past couple of years, man, 30 years worth of friendships up in smokes just because of the press of a button. Defriend, cancel. I love what Anne Lamott says. She says this right here. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God just so happens to hate all the same people that you do. And so there's a very, very important question that you and I need to ask ourselves during a time like this. And that is this, how do we maintain the unity and the strength and the witness of the church when 24 hours a day, the algorithms of our culture wanna perpetuate a narrative that you are right and that everyone else in this world are a bunch of idiots? How do we allow the church to simply be the church in a time like this? Well, I'm glad that you asked because what we want to do is we want to go to scripture today. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Philippians chapter four, verse one and two. Philippians chapter four, verse one through two. What you're going to find is that here are a couple verses where you probably just kind of skimmed over and you thought to yourself, yeah, I mean, that sounds nice, but not really all that applicable. I'm really, when you read the Bible, what you're going to find is that you're reading somebody else's mail. Paul is writing this to the church of Philippi. And so there are things that directly apply to us. There are things that don't directly apply to us. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll read a verse like this and we'll just kind of move on. But I think there's a very important lesson that we might be able to learn from this today about how it is that we can allow the church to regain its standing, how we can allow the church to regain its footing in a time like this. Philippians chapter four, verses one through two, it says this, I plead with you, I plead with you, Euodia, and I beg of you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, or in the old NIV it says, my loyal yoke fellow, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, I don't know if you know this about the Philippian church, but the Philippian church is most probably, quite honestly, the Apostle Paul's 
favorite church out of them all. Do you know why I say that? Because in every other letter, what you're going to find is you're going to find a very stern tone or you will find a very harsh rebuke for that, for that church. I mean, if you look at how it is, I mean, uh, uh, in almost all of the letters, he, he practically has to flash his credentials and who it is that he is at the beginning of the letter. When you, when he writes to the church at, uh, Ephesus, how does he start? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He writes to the church of Colossae and he starts out by saying the same thing. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He starts out the letter to the church of Galatia by saying this, I am astonished. I am shocked at what it is that's going on there. How, now, how does he start out the letter to the church to the Philippians? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. So what we find out is that the Philippian church is probably the Apostle Paul's favorite church. But by the time we get to chapter four, what we find is out is that there is a significant problem that is going on in the Philippian church. And it's not just between two greeters that just show up three times a year. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it kind of annoys me, Tiffany, when somebody, a volunteer comes up to me and says, Pastor Mark, I'm so burned out. And I'm like, you burned out? burned out. You were never on fire to begin with. How can you be burned out? You only show up three times a year. How can you be burned out? And yet what we find is that that is not the two ladies that the apostle Paul is talking about. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Euodia and he's talking about Sindiki. And just the fact that he is calling them out by name, do you know what that means? That means this, everyone knows them. That these are the two most prominent women in the church. In fact, what does the apostle Paul say about these two women? That they have contended at his side for the cause of the gospel. That in other words, that man, that they have labored together. That they have spilled blood together that they have fought in the trenches together. Let me tell you this right now. You are a part of a very, very special time at Portrait Church. Like we are, you know, whatever size that we're at right now, bigger than we were 15 years ago. But let me tell you this. Do you know what time we look at most fondly when it comes to the life of our church? This time, this time. Because let me tell you this, for you to like, labor together the way that you are, for, for people to fellowship together in the building of the church, there is no time like this right here. So all I'm trying to say is this, man, take advantage of this time. It's hard, isn't it? But remember this time. It's almost like looking, we were looking back at baby pictures just recently. We we're like, oh, we didn't appreciate those times. And it's, it's the same thing. Here, here's the only thing that I would say that when you're in the trenches together, guess what's going to happen? When iron sharpens iron, guess what happens? Sparks are going to fly. Conflict is going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. 
people are going to misunderstand each other. At some time, sometime, really, really soon, y'all going to be mad at Jay about something. Because that's what happens when life gets on life, right? And that's what we begin to see right here. Between Euodia and Syntyche, this fight has become so public. This fight has become so bad, it ain't even private anymore. The Apostle Paul almost had to go on a podcast series called The Rise and the Fall of the Philippian Church. Okay, we got some Christians in the room. I'm glad that joke landed. Um, There are a couple different types of people that are in the room today. Some of you are pioneers. You are here today as a part of this church because you got to do something. You can't sit on the sidelines. You've, you know, you might have been at another church and they didn't need you anymore. And you are here because you know that there is something to build here. There's another group of people that's a part of this church where you are just seeking. And there is something about new life that has just attracted you to this local body of Christ. There's a third group of people. And the reason why you're here is you, you're mad at another church or you're disappointed with another church. And what you're hoping in coming to this church is that you won't be mad at this church or you won't be disappointed at Jay like you were disappointed at the other church. Can I speak to you for a second? If that's you, you're in the wrong place. Do you know why I say that? Because the quality of a great church, the quality of a great church is not the absence of conflict. The quality of a great church is a reconciling spirit. Because let me tell you something. You're gonna annoy each other. The guy sitting next to you, he is weird. (laughs) Look over at him, look over at him. He's a freak. And yet, let me ask you this. Do our racial differences make us better or do they make us worse? Do our political differences, do they make us better or do they make us worse? Do our theological differences, do they make us better or do they make us worse? I will submit to you today that that we all want to be around a people who look and think just like me. But the problem is when I talk to a parrot, that's not a very interesting conversation, right? It's only as I engage in conversation with somebody who has something significant to say, but has the spirit to say it in which I can receive it as well. Man, that is a transformative experience, isn't it? Here's one way that we can pick uh, multiplication over division by refusing to pick sides. By refusing to pick sides. Philippians chapter one, 4, verse 1, it says this. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Do you notice the language? Paul is pleading with both sides equally. Here's what we want to do in an argument. We want to pick sides by going, you know what? That person's guilty and that person is innocent. And what we find is that the apostle Paul doesn't fall for that trap, does he? He goes, you odia, I'm coming to you. What he's not saying is he's not saying, you odia, this is all your fault. And you woke liberal, like if you just got everything right about the police and if you just got everything right about gender identity, then everything would be fine. He didn't do that. 
He didn't go to Sintiki and he didn't say, you crazy Christian nationalist, as long as you get your act together, everything's going to be fine. He doesn't blame either side. He doesn't even go to both sides and he doesn't say, would y'all just get along? Doesn't do that. He goes to Euodia and he says, listen, Euodia, the work of reconciliation is going to be 100% your job. But then he goes to Sintiki and he says the same thing. He says, if you want to see a united church and if you don't want to see a divided church, let me tell you this, it's not going to be the work of one person. If we want to see the Holy Spirit work in our midst, then we're all going to have to take that responsibility personally. Amen? Let's go on. Let's go on. It says this right here. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, let's not go too far with this verse. Do you know why? Because if you and I were to take into account the entire council of scripture, do you know what Paul would also say in Titus? He would say this right here. Titus chapter three, verses nine through 10. It says, but avoid foolish controversy in genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because those are unprofitable and useless. Listen to this. Warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and then after that, have nothing to do with them. Listen to this. Here's what I think. Are you ready for this? Sometimes Christians can be nicer than Jesus. Because when someone comes in to destroy community at your church, here's what the Bible says. You ready? Remove them. Remove them from community for the sake of community. What we don't want is we don't want somebody coming in and breaking up the unity of Jesus. Philippians chapter four, verse one, let's go on. It says this right here. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the what? The same mind in the Lord. Because here's the thing. What you will find is that unity, unity is one of the most important things to Jesus. In fact, we even see Jesus praying that in his high priestly prayer in John 17. John 17 verses 22 and 23 says this right here. As Jesus is laboring in his prayer right before he is crucified and going to go to the Father, this is what he prays about. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Wow, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why? So that they can brag about it. That's what I would do. So they can use it to control other people. So they can, so they can uh, weaponize it in terms of uh, their relationships with other people. No, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to, say it with me, complete unity. Complete unity. That means you and your boss that never appreciated you. That means you and your dad that was too hard on you. That means you and your previous church that disappointed you. 
Because if we do that, listen what the byproduct is. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Listen to me for a second. Whenever a king goes in front of his troops, the greatest command that any king gives his troops is this, hold the line. Do not allow the enemy to break you. Hold your position. All of a sudden, Jesus, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what he does as he addresses his troops is, do you know what he says? He does not say, hold your position. He says this, would you hold your disposition? That it's not that he doesn't want us to have opinions. And it's not that he doesn't want us to have um, uh, uh, ideas. It's just that he considers something else more important than those positions. And that is our what? That is my disposition. I mean, Jesus, in fact, says that in John chapter 13, verse 35, where he says this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If what? If your preaching is really good on Sundays. No, he didn't say that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the quality of your social media. By the number of junior high students that play Chubby Bunny. You know, in our day and age, it might sound something like this. By this, all men will know that you are Christians. If you just go crazy online about your political opinions. Actually, he doesn't say that either. By this, all men we'll know that you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another. If you love one another. Again, not that we can't have positions. It's just that we must understand that there is something more important than a position. And that is a disposition, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but have you, have you ever seen the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's about a, a man named Tom Junode who worked for Esquire magazine. He was an um, investigative journalist that was working for Esquire magazine. And his job was to write an expose piece about Fred Rogers. Do you know who that is? That's Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. He was like, you want me to do what? I'm an investigative journalist. I don't write puff pieces about children's, children's TV stars. Well, unbeknownst to him, what he finds is that as he begins to have a relationship with Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers changes his life. And then at the time of Fred Rogers' death, um, Tom Junode actually wrote this article in The Atlantic, and it's just an excerpt about this. He says this, I am often asked what Fred would have made of our time. What he would have made of Donald Trump. What he would have made of Twitter. What he would have made of what is generally called our polarization, which is in fact the discovery that we don't like our neighbors once we encounter their political opinions. 
The question isn't what Fred would do or what Fred would say in the face of outrage and horror because Fred was just the most stubbornly consistent of men. He would have said that Donald Trump was a child once too. He would have said that George Floyd was a child once too. He would have said that the latest Twitter victim or villain was a child once too. He would pray for shooters as well as he would pray for their victims. And the reason why he talked to us like children was so that we could remember what it was like to be a child, believing that if you remembered what it was like to be a child, then you would remember that you were a child of God. See, in a time of tragedy, what we all want to do is we all want to run to a narrative, don't we? It's all the government's fault. It's all the liberals' fault. It's all the conservatives' fault. Jesus never, never ran to a narrative. Do you know why? Because he was just too busy running to the hurting. What you will find in the scriptures, if you are a student of the Bible, is this. That over and over and over, it is the unity of the disciples and it is the unity of the church that lays the groundwork for revival and lays the groundwork for the gospel to be propagated and for the gospel to believe to be believed. If you read the gospel of Matthew, what you will find is that Matthew goes out of his way to over and over and over say that Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot were both disciples of Jesus. Simon the tax collector means that he's deeply pro-government. I mean, Matthew the tax collector means that he's deeply pro-government and Simon the zealot means that he's essentially Antifa. And yet for three years, here you have two men who are, you, who are willing to place their dispositions over their positions. In the upper room in Acts chapter two, the disciples weren't united because the spirit came. The spirit showed up because the disciples were united. That's why. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, the multicultural, the multi-ethnic church that, that they weren't formed because the gospel was preached. No, the gospel was believed. Do you know why? Because everyone from the outside looked at the church and for the first time ever in human history, they saw slave and free, man and woman, Greek, Hebrew, coming together and they went, oh how they love one another. And all I want to say is this. If you and I want to see that in our day and age, if we want to see churches, not just a church, a movement of churches being planted, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of revival, sweeping through our nation. If we want what the apostles had, we're going to have to do what the apostles did. 
And that is simply by loving one another. Stanley Howard Voss says this, that the most creative social strategy we have to offer the world is the church. Here we show the world a manner of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not, namely a place where God is forming a family out of a group of strangers. Um, let me show you a picture of our last son, our adopted son, right there. Let me, yeah, cute little guy, isn't he? I show you how it is that we ended up adopting. Um, Jay and I are about to fly out to a mutual mentor that we both have. And one time this mentor, Steve Stroop out in Rockwall, Texas, he was talking to all of us church planters about how it is that he invests in his marriage. So he was talking about how at the beginning of every year, what he does is he goes to his wife and he says, hey, Marsha, how can I help you accomplish your hopes and your dreams? And then she'll say something like, well, I want to do some home improvement this year, or I want to learn how to play piano this year. I want to learn how to speak Spanish this year. And so what he does, incredibly strategic guy, what he does is he puts a timeline to it that year. He puts a budget to it that year. And every single year he goes to his wife in the beginning of the year and he makes sure that it happens. I said, Pastor Steve, that's such a great idea. I went home to my wife. I said, honey, how can I help you accomplish your hopes and your dreams? She said, I think I want to adopt a baby. And I said, woman, what other hopes and dreams you got? Because we ain't going to do that one. Uh-uh, we ain't doing that. See, here's what I know. Part of the reason why I shut her down immediately is just because I know that, I know that if uh, my wife hates to impose on other people, and if she even voiced that, that means that the Holy Spirit had been working in her life for some time now. And I used to say this. I used to say that, that man, that's, that's biblical. Every Christian should adopt. Uh, right now, I just say, maybe we should all just be a part of the process. And do you know why I say that? Because it's hard, you know? It's hard. It's not easy. I say that adoption is a beautiful mosaic that is made out of broken glass. Uh, that little guy right there had uh, four mothers by the time he was 18 months old. He has just recently been diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. As an eight-year-old, he, we take him to a therapist. Um, and you know, at eight years old, he's just processing such difficult questions. Like, um, mommy and daddy, am I ever gonna meet my biological mother? Does she wanna see me? And we just go, man, bruh. Woo. Hey, you want to watch the Chargers game? <laughs> and in moments like that, like all we can do is hold him, right? But let me tell you what makes us happiest as parents. What makes us happiest as parents is when we see all of our kids get along right? When you step back and you see all of your kids playing together, man, that is just such a sweet, sweet, sweet moment. Do you know why that is? Because kids are always fighting. 
they're always picking on each other and they're always like, you know, that's my ice cream sandwich and get out of my room. And they're always fighting with each other. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, listen, I gave you life. I paid for that roof over your head. I paid for those clothes. I don't understand why you're fighting all the time. But every once in a while, every once in a while, they're laughing together. They're uplifting one another. They're praying with one another. And you think to yourself, this is what it was meant to be like. And I wonder if that's how maybe God feels as he sees the church. Man, I died for you. Why y'all like fighting all the time? But every once in a while, every once in a while. How do we gain that? How do we gain that? Well, the last three words of that verse actually give us a little bit of clarity on how it is that we do that. Philippians chapter four, verse one says this, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind. Would you say those last three words with me? In the Lord, in the Lord. What you may or may not know is that Paul uses this phrase over and over and over again. And in fact, it shows up in every chapter in the book of Philippians. In chapter one, Paul's imprisonments and chains cause those in the Lord to not be afraid, but instead more courageous and more fearless. In chapter two, Epaphroditus almost dies, but he recovers. And Paul says, would you welcome him in the Lord? And would you show him honor? In chapters three and chapters four, in the midst of opposition and persecution and anxiety, Paul says this, would you rejoice in the Lord? Would you rejoice in the Lord? Here's what I'm trying to say, that it is only in the Lord that you can get along with that pastor and that church that disappointed you. It is only in the Lord that you're gonna be able to get along with your own family members this Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Cause your father-in-law is coming and your father-in-law, he's always going crazy at the Thanksgiving table. And it is only in the Lord that you are gonna be able to show him the kind of love that, that he deserves. I don't know. I mean, he is made in the image of God, after all. It is only in the Lord that even in this room that you are gonna be able to love somebody so different from you, who annoys you so much. But if we work in our own strength and our own flesh, it'll be impossible. We can say bye-bye to the days of Portrait Church. Let me tell you what the secret is, in the Lord. Would y'all bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word that is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And here's what I pray for this, uh, for this very young infant church, Lord God. I pray that from the very beginning, that there would be this value of right truth, that there would be this value of right doctrine, but Father, as you have, uh, as the Apostle Paul admonished Timothy, that it's not just the right doctrine that saves us, but he tells Timothy to guard his life and his doctrine closely, for by with it, he will save others. And so, Father, I pray that, God, that we would believe the right things. Believing the right things are essential. They're important. But in the gray, 
in the middle, in the messy middle, in the diversity. Father, I pray that we would learn to love one another because it is only then that all will know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.